1: And I'm Eliana Johnson.
0: And welcome to the first Ink Stained Wretches of 2023, where we will break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, where happy. we
1: will do exactly what we did in 2022. Woo!
0: But with with a new there's a, a a brand of water. I swear this is actually true, and I I gave it as a gift this Christmas. There's a brand of water, and it's called Aqua Luna. Yeah. And it is water that has been exposed to the moon. <laughs> and, Did
1: mine get lost in the mail? And,
0: and the slogan. What the, the heck? And the slogan is, "Hydrate with intention." <laughs> and we this year it's going to be just like last year, but we're going to hydrate with intention while we're doing it. We're going to we're going to analyze with intention. And I also want to say that this is our first. We're being recorded for the first time for the internet for uh, other parts of the internet. Where we would be listening to. And that is why I'm wearing my Kevin McCarthy blue suit, my least favorite color blue suit. I, in evidence that I'm a middle aged dude. What is
1: Kevin McCarthy blue?
0: So it's this ugly blue. It's this like more of a royal blue than a navy blue. I like my blue suits. You'll be surprised to hear real traditional and deep. And I got this blue on like a kind of a lark, and it should be worn with a. Mick Mulvaney, like, orange poppin' tie or something. This is really
1: bothering me because you have a white
0: speck. Nice. And uh, But I wore it because for the many, many, many trials of Kevin McCarthy that are going on today as we record this, uh, that I would wear my ugly blue suit in his honor because this is his. I, I assume, though, he wears brown shoes with this suit. so And that's why he doesn't deserve to be speaker.
1: I am in such disagreement with you about Navy and Brown. Oh, I, Nate Moore is with me. Blue and... And Nate Moore's so stylish.
0: He is. I uh, he has His his sweater right now, I mean, you can't see it. He's off camera, but that's the kind of sweater. That sweater tells stories around the fire by itself. He's, if you just young, leave it out. he's
1: young and stylish. <laughs>
0: the sweater's like, let me tell you about the time that I was hanging out with Tom Hanks' sweater. <laughs> and we were riding snow machines.
1: Well, I'm bummed because I... Colin gave us the heads up yesterday that we were going to be recording because I was like, okay, I have to look cute, you know, and I got all ready this morning and I put on this cute blazer and then it's like 500 degrees in this room. And so I will just here in my white shirt.
0: Well, you yeah. can find the video version of this on the Nebulous podcast YouTube channel. You can find it there and you can see how Eliana looks and Eliana looks great. As usual.
1: I'm not wearing my cute blazer. Just
0: imagine that she's wearing a cashmere hoodie. Not
1: wearing my blazer. I-
0: imagine that she's wearing a cashmere hoodie. Imagine it, me like this. It sounds like she's wearing a cashmere blazer. Yeah. Or a uh, hoodie. Okay. Okay. Right.
1: Well, your Kevin McCarthy blue suit <laughs> takes us straight in <laughs> to our front page. Like whoosh. <laughs> where we are going to talk about the historic... Historic. Chaos, yeah, it's insane. Enveloping the so, U.S. Capitol right now. Let's let's
0: get it. Let's get a a flavor of how historic the coverage has been take a quick break we'll be back with much more on this extraordinary and historic day and a hundred years of historic um a hundred years of i would say a hundred years of debacle in some ways a hundred years that you've not seen this before turned out to be another historic night in the house of representatives another historic second day of voting has become an epic and historic meltdown to the historic nature of what happened yesterday. Jarring split screen of America. House Republicans embroiled in an historic failure to pick a speaker while President Biden and the Democrats are out there governing. Okay. So as as we as we just heard and as everyone has experienced, this has been treated. How many times have you heard that this has not happened in 100 years?
1: Well, I love in these Things where every reporter on TV is like, you know, this hasn't happened since 1923, and they sound really authoritative. And it's like, dude, we all just learned this. We all just learned two this. seconds right. ago when you Googled it on your cell phone while you were in makeup, it, it, right. And getting your hair it done. It wasn't in the like green two. Room.
0: It wasn't like two months ago. It's people not were like, like
1: so historic that you. As knew. we all
0: know, the great 23 speaker fight, <laughs> exactly. the great speaker <laughs> fight of 23. Nicholas Longworth was in the battle of his a battle of his career.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, we got couple of pieces of reader mail so we're flipping the script here starting with reader mail as opposed to closing with it but but we have some more at the end some very good ones at the end where so why don't we just answer questions because it is wall-to-wall tv coverage but it's not really zooming out that much it's just like seventh vote and mccarthy still doesn't have it
0: and we should say that as of this recording We've been through seven votes.
1: I think we've been through six. Is it seven?
0: Or, or that's right. They didn't vote last night, so we're. I am going to Google
1: it right now, and and then come back and sound very authoritative. Exactly.
0: Come back and be like, as yeah. everyone knows, yeah. Chris. But we're recording this late morning on Thursday, so please, uh, please bear that in mind when we are wrong about anything. But but the the story here is our, the media angle on this is already hardened, which is. Not surprisingly, yes, that, yeah. that it has been a gooftastic, overhyped, ridiculous six thing. That's okay, what I si- thought. six rounds. So seventh vote coming up, and Kevin McCarthy has made his last desperate plea, which is the thing he said he wouldn't do, which is to have the chair, the one one voter, one vote was a, a one member could have a privilege vote to vacate the chair, which is basically to, to force a no confidence vote confidence vote on the speaker and that's
1: how Boehner ended up on his patootie well Boehner
0: you know the Boehner story here is an interesting one Boehner could have survived the vote that Mark Meadows brilliant tactician Mark Meadows that Mark Meadows was threatening him with when he was the head of the the Freedom Caucus but you know what Boehner didn't want to do
1: keep he, being speaker <laughs> he didn't want
0: to force the normals to do it right because yeah. he knew he, he saw the chance to pull the switcheroo and basically, pull, he pulled the rug out. So instead of forcing the Trey Gowdies of the world to have to go make another painful primary vote in favor of John Boehner, Boehner said, "You know what?" As in the words of the great philosopher Eric Cartman, "Screw you guys, I'm going home. And he left, and it was a, it was it was a really kind of a stud move. But that, of course, led to Kevin McCarthy's first whiff on the speakership. And then allowed Paul Ryan to say, "Guys, I mean, if you really, 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 really want me to be Speaker, I guess I will." And right now, Elise Stefanik and
1: Steve Scalise, Steve
0: Scalise are practicing the faces that they're going to make when they're like, "Really, me? I guess. I mean, if you wanted me to, I would be Speaker." <laughs> I had been so focused on getting Kevin elected, I hadn't. it hadn't occurred to me that this would be a factor. But okay, as Elise Stefanik immediately brings drape swatches out and is like, no, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. But anyway, uh, so we don't know what's going to happen, but the coverage has been what the coverage has been.
1: Okay, so this brings us to our reader question from Pete A. in Southern Maryland, who writes with a really good question. Dear wretch overlords, off to a great start. Perhaps it's because I'm too busy with life or I'm just slow. No, because it's it's a great question. Can you break down for this slow learner? Pete, you're so self-deprecating. What is going on with the speaker vote? Are the Republican holdouts Trump loyalists who do not want slash trust McCarthy? Are they anti-Trump and feel he's too much of a yes man? And whom do they want instead? In advance, thank you. So let's break it down. Break it down. The... What I find so interesting about the holdouts here, and there are about 20 of them, is that the Trump loyalists are divided. Right. So the 20, yes, they're Trump loyalists, but there are also Trump loyalists who are McCarthy loyalists. And McCarthy is a Trump loyalist himself. You know, he played that role. He was one of the first guys to go down to Mar-a-Lago after January He was the first. Yes, the first. And take a picture with Trump. So you have the Matt Gaetzes and the Chip Roys. And well,
0: now, wait, wait, no, 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 no.
1: You don't want me lumping them together? Don't lump those two okay. together. Okay, okay. So you have the Matt Gaetzes, Trump loyalists, et cetera, on, as, a, as a McCarthy holdout. Right. You also have Jim Jordan as a McCarthy loyalist. Right. And they're both MAGA guys. And
0: Marjorie Taylor Greene. And
1: Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, and Lauren Bo- Lauren Boebert as a McCarthy holdout. Staunch These anti- guys are divided, which is why it is confusing. And then you have Trump, who has weighed in mm, in a lukewarm way. I think what Trump did here was the equivalent of in the Missouri Senate race when he came out and said... I endorse Eric. Right. And the exactly. candidates were, were Eric. Gre- Eric. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So Trump gave this kind of lukewarm endorsement. and Maybe I think he'll that be great.
0: I love the last line of his He'll truth. be
1: good. Maybe maybe, will Maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. he'll be great. And no, and so no, 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 I don't know. I no. think the, the lukewarm nature of Trump's endorsement reflects the fact that he's got friends on both sides of this fight. And what they want are what, what the holdouts want are concessions to the way that the House operates that would give the minority of the Republican conference, more control That's true. over the, the way things work. And you ask, whom do they want instead? Uh, they're not really sure.
0: Well, I, so this is not about Trump. This is first totally. and foremost. This predates Trump. Trump, uh, as we saw, that Trump's restated endorsement had no effect on the proceedings. Right. Trump is not looking to take another loss here. What Trump wants, what Jim Jordan wants, what Marjorie Taylor Greene wants, is Kevin McCarthy. Why do they want Kevin McCarthy? Because Kevin McCarthy is so weak, right? They want this hobbled, enfeebled Kevin McCarthy who has had to scrape and bow to get there and beg for it for four years to finally be there. Why is that? Because he will let them do whatever they want all the time. Because at any moment—here's a little tip— Pete A. If you ever find yourself where your fate and your future is in the hands of Marjorie Taylor Greene, you're screwed already, right? It's too late. You you have already you've already you've already come to the bad place because what and the reason I I delineated between Chip Roy and Matt Gates, there are people like some of them the Scott Perry who is the the new chairman of the Freedom Caucus, he is a Doug Mastriano, cuckoo bird, all the way. But I believe he believes it, right? I believe that he believes that the Democrats are kind of like the Nazis. And I believe that he believes that the American Republic is about to fall. I believe he believes all those things. I don't think he's making it up. I certainly think that Chip Roy is a conservative, right? I think that he means to be a conservative. I don't know where, what's his name from Kentucky? Comer? No, 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 the libertarian one from Kentucky. Oh yeah, Thomas Massey. Massey. Like there are people. Thank you, Nate Moore. Nate Moore and the sweater told him though. Uh, <laughs>
1: the,
0: the, the there are conscientious conservatives who align frequently with the Freedom Caucus, and I believe that that's true. But I also believe that there are goofball people who are, and and this is why it's such a media story. There is not an ideological component to this debate. There are people who are very conservative who have been voting for Kevin McCarthy, more conservative than some of those who have been voting against him. The re- This is about, you say, procedure, yes, but it's about television, right? It's about being on television. It's about optics. It's about what they're going to do, what kind of stunts. And when you when you get it... It's down,
1: also about profile. You know, these guys right. are raising their profile.
0: Personality. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a big part of it. If you think about it, if, if you were to boil it down to the simplest way. Do you think Dan Crenshaw doesn't want a balanced budget? No, of course, Dan Crenshaw would like to have a balanced budget. Is Dan Crenshaw willing to have a debt limit breach in order to try to extort a balanced budget, unsuccessfully, by the way, from Joe Biden? No. So this is, this is the same debate that Ted Cruz had with Mitch McConnell in 2013 over the Obamacare shutdown. What are you willing to do in order, what tactics are you willing to use to obtain ends that are agreed upon? And it's, as I wrote before, and I'll say again, the reason that the this fight has been so intense is because the stakes are so low. This is a next to worthless speakership. I do not know why Kevin McCarthy wants this job, because it will be horrible. Because Ten seconds after he gets it, it will the same fights will begin anew. And I figured out that the, the size of the Republican majority is a 1.04% advantage in membership in the House. They can't do anything. They have the lower half of one-third of the government. They can't do nothing. And this is the reason – if the stakes were higher, people would be acting differently.
1: I agree that the concessions he's made, you know, he's saying, make me speaker and I'll give you chaos, the right. chaos that you want.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's perfectly well said.
1: Up next, Chris, we're, we're like drastically changing directions, but I I frequently wake up at two or three in the morning and then I'm, you know, looking on my phone and that does not help get back to sleep for anyone wondering. Everyone but, knows
0: the blue light um, screen I is bad. I found
1: this wonderful New York Times article that was like the perfect thing to read at this time of the evening by your favorite, Michael Powell. He is great. And the headline, how naming the James Webb telescope turned into a fight over homophobia. And I'm just going to read a, a little bit. What? It was, okay, so this is all about-
0: <laughs> The telescope cannot see The diversity pulsars.
1: wars in science. Okay. So, for a, for half a decade now, influential young scientists have denounced NASA's decision to name its deep space telescope after James E. Webb, who led the space agency to the cusp of the 1969 moon landing. This man, they insisted, was a homophobe who oversaw a purge of gay employees. Hakeem, and I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, Olusei, That seems right. OK, who is now the president of the National Society of Black Physicists, was sympathetic to these critics. Then he delved into the archives and talked to historians and wrote a carefully sourced essay in Medium in 2021 that laid out his surprising findings. I can say conclusively, Doctor Ilusse wrote that there is zero evidence that Webb is guilty of the allegations against him. That, a
0: typical sellout okay. from the National, National Society of Black, Black Physicists. Physic- yeah. just what, just what kind of a shill, just what kind of a shill organization okay. it typically is.
1: That he figured would be the uh, would be that he was wrong. In a blog written with three fellow scientists, Shonda Prescott Weinstein, a cosmologist at the University of New Hampshire with a low six-figure Twitter following, said that it was highly likely that Mr. Webb knew exactly what was happening with security at his own agency during the height of the Cold War, adding, we are deeply concerned by the implication that managers are not responsible for homophobia. And this article delves deep into the back and forth. More reports have been written, official proclamations, this, that, and the other. It is fascinating, but I love that now the the president of the National Society of Black Physicists is like the face of the uh, exactly the homophobic patriarchal homophobic establishment. Yeah, typical. Um, It's a great piece.
0: Typical. No, no surprise there. New York Times continuing in the same vein of the New York Times digging into the dynamics in the in the woke community. This was a great piece from our hiatus. And by the way, thanks for all of the great response we got to the Chris Cuomo interview. I've heard from a bunch of people. And if you didn't listen to our Week After Christmas episode with Chris, I I recommend it. Go check it out. But in our time away, this was another, the New York Times hit another one. How a dog's killing turned Brooklyn progressives against each other. Are you familiar with the neighborhood of Park Slope in Brooklyn?
1: I am familiar.
0: When I tell you people that this is... The, the, it's not. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of. What, I'm
1: like waiting to see to what, what you come out with here.
0: What neighborhood? What other neighborhoods I would compare to? But it has a. It's hard
1: because Park Slope is usually the comparison. Yeah, Park like, Slope it's is the, comparison, the Park Slope. But it's
0: got the boss. It's it, it the it's got some Beacon Hill energy from it because so it's basically super rich people with a lot of bohemian energy around it in Brooklyn. Lots of really expensive houses. But these are people who are like, we're not elites because we don't live in Westchester. We don't live in Short Hills, We're not like those people. We live here in the city. But Park Slope is- as, We live in Brooklyn. It, yeah. It's not just we the live, city. We don't
1: live on the don't Upper live, East Side. Yeah. We
0: don't live on the Upper West Side. We live in Brooklyn, baby. And then you get to Park Slope and you're like, oh, nice artisanal mayonnaise shop. Okay. Cool. <laughs> anyway. Here's the times. On August 3rd. Jessica Churistic, 40, a professional beekeeper, was walking her dog in Prospect Park a little after 6 a.m. when she saw a man rifling through the garbage outside the picnic house. She had seen the man before, tall, with dreadlocks wrapped in a turban, carrying a long staff and often muttering to himself or cursing. And she usually kept her distance. But this morning, there was no room to avoid him. And it goes on. It's really well written. It's really well done, and I also will say on John Leland, who wrote the piece. I don't know why I am didn't. I don't know why I saw this. This piece is I am now seeing was from October, but I only just saw it now. Sorry, fresh and updated. But anyway, it's a great piece. It goes on from there and talks about the what basically. It's a piece that talks about what happens when the shibboleths of a community are in conflict. And what does Park Slope, what is the only thing that Park Slope loves more than artisanal mayonnaise? Dogs. Loves its dogs. It cares about, it's a dog, it's definitely a dog-centric community. And it goes through, it's just really well done. I recommend it highly. And it has pictures. But it has
1: of, nothing on our next piece.
0: It, and it, but it does have a picture of the dog moose, RIP moose.
1: Okay. Up next, we have... This, we actually should have done this first because it's bigger news. But this is how the New York Times, over our break, the date on the story, December 26th. Okay, Christmas coverage of the still unfolding FTX drama. This is how the Times covered it. This is a piece by Rob Copeland, who is on hardship assignment at New Providence Island in the Bahamas. It's
0: hard. Hard to be there. Yeah.
1: The headline is... In the Bahamas, a lingering sympathy for Sam Bankman-Fried. And the sub-headline, Residents there have a generous view of the disgraced FTX founder who has been accused of misusing billions of dollars in customer funds. And the piece reads, you know, it it starts off saying, In the U.S., people think he's really terrible for stealing stealing from his customers. The
0: tweet is, In the U.S., Sam Bankman-Fried is persona non grata. But in interviews across the Bahamas, residents say his crimes were hardly comparable to the gang violence of the island and expressed fears of economic fallout if crypto investors don't return. I'm sorry. Yeah, guys,
1: it. In in the heart of Africa, they also don't think he's right. that bad. Exactly uh,
0: where the where there are child soldiers in yeah. Central Africa, <laughs> they're like, well, you know, Sam Bankman Fried compared to the machete wielding murder gangs is not that bad. And the the funny part about the New York Times and everybody's and we talked a couple weeks ago about Andrew Ross Sorkin is that his name, yeah. And the New York Times gentle nuzzling of Sam Bankman Freed as the it as the it boy like couldn't finance finally be like hip and cool and and what what was the name for his charity that was
1: there were a ton the fighting against pandemics was one no
0: but there's a name for his like mindful
1: oh effective altruism effective altruism it's his approach
0: which which, which is give every,
1: wh- steal it and give it all away which
0: is the which is the Financial equivalent of hydrating with intention. And all of the and so now the the effort to save Sam Bankman Freed or rationalize why Sam Bankman Freed, the criminals giving stuff away to poor people is not a new thing. Al Capone gave away a lot of food. Al Capone did a lot of stuff. When they came to get what's the name of the gangster? They made a great movie with Denzel Washington about his story. Oh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? But there's a long history of criminals giving away free stuff to poor people and poor people saying, I don't know why you had to take away our poor person. The point is, if you're a criminal, Frank Lucas, Frank Lucas thank you, Colin Chocola, who is also now camera impresario and whose sweater is nice, but feels... Less than in the company of Nate Sweater. Nate Sweater's been kind of pushing it around a little bit, but that's okay. The Frank Lucas, all these other people. This is, I will just say, weak weak sauce, New York Times, weak sauce.
1: but can we read a little from the article? Please do. Okay, so it says, you know, everyone thinks he's terrible in the U.S., not so in the Bahamas, where Mr. Bankman Freed lived for the past year in a lavish gated community on the western shore of New Providence Island near the nation's capital, Nassau. Few here predicted that he would spend his final week on the island farther inland to the east in a neighborhood home to high crime and shacks inside perhaps the Caribbean's most notorious prison. I think he had a good start, said Shemika Moss, a Nassau school administrator. Ms. Moss was shopping on a recent afternoon at a beauty supply shop a few blocks from Fox Hill Prison, where Mr. Bankman-Fried was held for a week before he was extradited to the United States on Wednesday to face sweeping fraud charges. He's a Bahamian, she added, as part of the explanation for her sympathies.
0: Hey, New York Times, you know where the most notorious prison in the Caribbean is? Cuba. That's where it is. It's in Cuba. You know what it's called? Cuba. The whole (laughs) island has been a prison. Give me a break! Holy, it's so good, Rokano. G's, G's Louise. Speaking of G's Louise, the cut at New York Magazine. Now I've seen this happening. So there is a new Congresswoman named Delia Ramirez.
1: Oh, oh, wait, wait. Sorry, can I Anything. Just add. So the Washington Post had the compliment, the complimentary story to well, the New York was, Times's Sam oh, Bankman on, say, Fried. SBF? Yeah. But it was about his girlfriend Caroline Ellison, and the headline I'm putting in the link so you'll you can get it in the newsletter. The headline was, "Caroline Ellison wanted to make a difference. Now she's facing prison. A close colleague of crypto king Sam Sam Bankman-Fried Ellison is now pleading guilty, saying she she knew what wanted to be in a Chinese sex harem. Yes,
0: yes, yes. A close colleague and Chinese sex harem enthusiast. Um.
1: Okay, so. I but I interrupted you.
0: No, no, no. Go, I go, go. definitely did not want to miss out on re-rethinking um, the
1: difference she wanted to make. Yeah,
0: she wanted to make so much of a difference. And she did it by trying to live in a polyamorous estate.
1: A polycule.
0: A polycule. Right, exactly. Their sweaters are going to form a polycule. Okay. <laughs> Representative Delia Ramirez, who is a new newly elected Congresswoman from Illinois, has been getting the star treatment now for a few since she won. This has been, you, you can feel it in the water that she is there because, and I think we even talked about her once before. She's very charismatic. She's good at politics. She's got a lot of good energy. And she is from, a. There, I'm sure there have been, how do they, they have to come up with a pretty very, they have to come up with a very distinct way to describe what her first is. It's something like first female Latina From a Midwestern state. It's a it's a very specific first, but she is a barrier breaker. And the reason that she is popular is for the same reason popular in the press is for the same reason AOC and others were. She had an unlikely story. Now she's in Congress. Can you believe it? And this, by the way, twins with you remember our item about the guy who got turned down for a lease, a new congressman who got turned down for a lease. No. He he failed the credit check.
1: No, I don't remember Yeah, yeah, this at yeah, all. we did.
0: Yeah, it, well, maybe that was when Christine Rosen was here, but Yeah, that was,
1: I wasn't here. It, it that.
0: was the new congressman who got elected and tried to get a place at the wharf and he definitely he not he, here. He, fa- he failed the background check or failed the credit check. Anyway, here's so she is definitely part of this energy and I want to get to the part where she talks about her her understanding of housing because of her background. Now, I want to tell you all, by the way, that a member of congress makes $177,000 a year. That's enough money, right? That is that is enough money. And she says the following. So the question is housing shortages, a looming recession, inflation, all of these factors are making it really hard for people to find and keep home, keep homes. Incoming members of congress have talked about how hard it is to find a new residence before they start making their salary. How is your search going? And has the process illuminated anything new for you from a policy standpoint? Boilerplate, da-da-da-da-da, COVID, something, something, something. I grew up working class. Okay. But you were asking about the reality for me. I ran for Congress, and there are lots of expenses that I could not put on my campaign, right? Clothing, travel, all of these things cost you. My husband and I own our own home, a two-story unit where we have a tenant. I'm also not afraid of admitting I have, me- I have medical debt because of miscarriages during the pandemic, that have made my credit less than perfect. So my husband and I have to figure out how to pay a security deposit and a credit check while we are trying to navigate all the expenses of this transition. That's scary and sometimes embarrassing. I said to our minority leader in our first meeting after I won my primary, why do members of Congress have to pay out of pocket to access housing in a place that I'm only coming because of the job? And I've heard people say people feel like members of Congress should be able to afford it. For those of us who are working class, this is yet another reminder that this place wasn't designed for people who actually represent their communities. It would be nice for my husband to come and visit me from time to time and for our dogs to come visit. But he said to me, well, that would be great. I don't think we could afford a one-bedroom on your own. Find a roommate and let's financially stabilize ourselves and next year you can get your own place. So I went to orientation and found out that Summer Lee was also looking for a roommate. We found a little row house just a few minutes from the Capitol that that a former member of Congress who's retired is renting to us for $3,000 a month. Now, first of all, it sounds like a good... Give
1: it to us, Steyer, Sounds
0: like a good spot. I live in the neighborhood. You're getting a whole row house for three grand, split in two ways, $1,500 a month. That's pretty cool. That's fly. I don't understand what the problem is. Number two, it's $177,000. If you were making enough money before... And you have a tenant in your house, and you have all this other stuff, don't complain. Please stop complaining. There are lots of members who sleep in their offices. There are lots of members who this is hard to do. This is a hardship for everybody. I do agree with her on one point. I believe strongly that there should be a dorm for members of the house. I think there should be a dorm with a nice gym. I think that they should sleep, they should live in like quads with common areas. And I think that should be the norm. Because I think it would be good for them to live together. I think it would be good for them to to have common spaces and do that stuff. And I kind of take her point. I, of course, then would cut, I would cut the pay accordingly because they don't you wouldn't need as much money. But just I, I bring this up because the cut is ridiculous. This kind of coverage is ridiculous. She's a member of Congress. be cool.
1: The cut. Oh. Is New I, York Magazine. Yeah, it, well, yes, I know that. I was going to say, there's something I very much like in New York Magazine, and it is The Strategist, which is, like, what you need to buy.
0: Oh, well, that's uh, different. So that's I'm just different.
1: clicking around there now. Yes, it is totally different, but I was trying to remember if that is what I like. Okay.
0: It's not Delia uh, Ramirez. Not not Delia Ramirez. Oh, Chris, yes. you're
1: just taking us out of the front page, like, boom, boom, boom. Here we go. Yep, yep. What,
0: what else? You got? Oh, my AEI colleague. Max Eden takes the Washington Post to task for its coverage of book banning. Now, the book banning thing is real, and I read with interest. I should—we'll find it and put a link in somewhere about how they're banning books from prisons. Stop banning books from—like, whatever, they're already in prison. It's okay. They can read whatever they want. You you should let them read widely. I I don't think too much reading is the problem that dominates in our prisons— so anyway, I guess you could ban books about, like, how to escape from prison. But the Max Eden talks about the effort to Hannah Natanson's piece about the book Lawn Boy. and
1: I'm unfamiliar.
0: Okay, so this is one of these, and actually the, the book's author, Jonathan Evison told the post that he never meant for his book to be included in school libraries and said he thought it was given an award for its appeal to teens because the American Library Association confused it with another children's book of the same name quote nobody below a teenager is ready for that book everson told the post it's got a lot of adult stuff and then max goes through it's very racy for the AEI blog let me tell you goes through and and says wow. what was said and it has all of the stuff it has all of okay. the it has all of the things in it and clearly as a father of a teenager not a book that I would recommend for teenagers, and neither does its author. And he goes through, Max goes through and basically says, if you can't say in the Washington Post the things that the book was banned for, accusing the people who want the book to be taken out of school libraries of being racist, then that is a profoundly and fundamentally dishonest argument, right? If you can't say, that's like, I forget... Which actor it was was on a panel show, and there was a white guy who was saying about the N-word, like, well, why should words be banned? And I I want to say it was Samuel L. Jackson, but it was somebody like Samuel L. Jackson who said, go ahead and say it. What word is it <laughs> that you want to say that you think it's unfair? And he's like, well, you know, I'll get in trouble. It's like, no, no, I'm giving you permission. Say the word. And he wouldn't say the word. If you can't include the passages from the book in an article in which you're saying that the detractors aren't sincere, but it's really racist, then you are getting it wrong. And I'm not saying she was getting it wrong on purpose, but I'm saying think about it, lady.
1: We have a really special one up next, which is Time Magazine's uh, (laughs) book review. It's a review of a book, and the headline of the book review is... The white supremacist origins of exercise, comma, and six other surprising facts about the history of U.S. physical fitness.
0: It is a doozy. You you are right indeed.
1: Quote, so this is a review of a book, Fit Nation, The Gains and Pains of America's Exercise Obsession, out this month.
0: Get Um, it? Well, you can.
1: Okay. Another big turning point is 9-11. You see a boom in the CrossFit mentality, almost like militarized fitness and girding yourself and your body for a fight. Not necessarily, by the way, in the 1950s, 1960s way of fighting for the U.S. Army, but more like you need to know how to perform functional fitness to protect yourself if things go wrong. At the same time, you see an emphasis on wellness, self-care and healing and being meditative in an increasingly traumatic and unpredictable world.
0: Here, I, I actually, I actually think that the author, I'm, I'm actually, the, I think the book is probably better than the article because that is kind of an interesting point. But here's the lead of the article: How did U.S. exercise trends go from reinforcing white supremacy to celebrating Richard Simmons? <laughs> that evolution is explored in a new book by a historian of exercise, Natalia Melman Petrizella. Author of the book Fit Nation: The Gains and Pains of Mary blah 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 blah. It is if you if if you wrote a book, Eliana, that was ninety nine percent about uh, the history of podcasting, and you had one chapter in it that was about race and podcasting. I can guarantee you that the Time Magazine would be like racist podcasting, the the bigoted origins of the microphone, because it just. They cannot resist it. They cannot resist it.
1: You got to talk about this one because I didn't see it.
0: Okay, so... But at, I do have a
1: question related to it, so...
0: So as of, the, as of this recording, Jamar Hamlin, player for the Buffalo Bills, is still in intensive care after a cardiac incident on the field early in this week's Monday Night Football game. And I really want to credit Joe Buck and the broadcasting team uh, at ESPN because from a coverage standpoint now look what's gone on since then I've heard people accuse the league of racism in the media for not canceling the game sooner and this has turned into a, a, a typical morass of media blatherskite but the presence of those broadcasters and the way that ESPN handled it and what a difficult thing let's take a little listen to how it went just don't know what the next step is Whether we're playing football here tonight, which seems hard to fathom. If this game will be pushed to another night this week. But as has been said many times already, who cares? This is about DeMar Hamlin, his health, and how he is at this moment, and what his status is. So you can imagine, you know, do do you ever watch sports?
1: Only, like, by osmosis, because... Except basketball sometimes. You okay. know, I get into the college basketball. No, other than that.
0: So sports broadcasting, to do it well, is one of the really – I have incredible admiration for sports broadcasters. Like I love the great Keith Jackson. And unpopular opinion, and I, I'm probably biased by the fact that I grew up listening to his dad, Jack Buck, the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. But the I think Joe Buck does a tremendous job to, to – to do that and make it interesting, you know how long it takes to do an NFL game. You're on air for four hours, and you got to keep talking about it. You got to know all the stuff. Buck n- knew the player who it was, and just the presence. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was it was good. It was good sports journalism.
1: My related question is that I saw this headline: Skip Bayless apologizes for tweet after Demar Hamlin's collapse.
0: What did he tweet?
1: I did not understand why this was controversial at all. What did he say? Um, so Fox sports host Skip Baylist apologized for hosting his FS1 show. Apologize, yeah, Tuesday morning yeah. following controversial tweet. He tweeted, no doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how this late in the season a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, dot, 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 which suddenly seems so irrelevant. That sparked outrage on Twitter from a number of current and former athletes. I did not understand it. All was controversial.
0: Well, I mean, the sad story of the NFL and the concussion debacle in the NFL, the allegations of the cover-up and what happened with traumatic brain injury in the NFL, is to the NFL as child molestation is to the Catholic Church. Everything that comes after it, every decision, everything happens in the context of that, right? When you have a monstrous thing happen, it changes the organization in these profound ways. The NFL is also constantly riven by allegations of racism, constantly. This is a black player, so this is a more freighted moment because here's the the story that many around the the coverage of the NFL would would tell you that the NFL treated black players like animals, exploited them for profit, let them be injured, let them be crippled, let them be brain damaged, didn't care about them, took the money and ran away. So now if you're Roger Goodell, if you're the NFL, or if you're covering the NFL, anytime you have an Physical, if you have an injury question, or you have, especially if it involves an African American player, it's a whoa moment. And this explains the. the, There's nothing wrong with what Skip Bayless said, right? That's true. That's an accurate statement. He's a journalist. He made an accurate statement, but of course, you're not supposed to say those things um, because. We'll we'll do a spe- Oh, the next time you're on vacation, we'll get it. We'll get a sports fan in here, and we'll do. You
1: to- that's a great idea. And
0: we'll just do. I hate ESPN. Fifty reasons. No, we'll do a breakdown of. We'll just do an all sports journalism show, and all of the all all of that's the non sports fan. Je- Jessica can skip.
1: Okay, Chris. That brings us to our style section. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do-do-do before we get to our (laughs) obsessions. And it brings good news for me Good news for you. Woo! Woo! The New York Times reports there has never been a better time to be short. Quote, when you mate with shorter people, you're potentially saving the planet by shrinking the needs of subsequent generations. Lowering the height minimum for prospective partners on your dating profile is a step toward a greener planet.
0: Now I don't know. Uh, what? Mara Altman is the writer, is the author of this piece. It's in the opinion section of the New York Times. I take it Mara Altman has a short son who is on a dating <laughs> app somewhere. It's like, ladies, you keep saying six foot and over. What about the five seven guys? Huh? What about the five seven guys? My favorite part of this piece is, I got to find it. Oh, here it is she th- this is the tell she says she writes my husband who is five foot six <laughs> said it would have been easier to be tall than have put the effort into developing his wit but I know we wouldn't be married if he didn't make my cheeks hurt from smiling so hard on our first date I'm, I'm
1: actually exclusive you know yeah You're tall, a, you cannot put no effort wit. into. Developing I have no a wit. Wit. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm, uh, I'm a, what am I but a witness a witless cromagnon anyway we find my but my favorite part is there's a oh yes in some corners of a world, in some corners of the world, a celebration of short, short stature is actually happening. Arnie Hendricks, a six-foot-four-inch lecturer and artist, uses performance and exhibitions to encourage people to embrace fewer inches. He's even restricted dairy from his sons' diets and only allows them minimal sugar in an attempt to limit their growth, saving them from the ills of height. Quote. It's time for tall people to get off our high horses, Mr. Hendricks said. Don't be overly confident when you are tall because you are probably going to die younger, have more health problems, and you are polluting more. She writes, the future I envision is different. I want my children to know the value of short. I want them to call themselves short drinks of water with legs for minutes. When one yells, I'm the shortest, I hope the other will bend his knees to gain an advantage, shouting, no, I'm the shortest. Hey, Arnie. (laughs) you sound like a fun dad. You sound just delightful that you're like, nine, you must be shorter. We are limiting your dairy intake. No cheese for you.
1: This is
0: amazing. Amazing.
1: Chris, it is time for our obsessions of the week. Where we break down these stories that we can't get out of our heads. And, I am giving love to some student journalism this week mm-hmm. at Nate Moore's alma mater, Princeton University. Mm-hmm. This was before Christmas, actually. So I'm going back in time, but this piece is so amazing. The headline is Three Princeton DEI Staff Members Resign, Alleging Lack of Support. And the piece is long. Everyone should read it. What does DEI it's stand for? Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And it painstakingly documents the evidence provided by the staff members for Princeton's lack of support
0: and they quit oh these are the these are the heads of this agency they,
1: no it's well there are several departments there's a D, DEI in athletics and DEI oh. in admissions and DEI everywhere so one of the people who resigned this is what he cites as the school's lack of support he says Oh, sorry. They said, I can offer one specific example. When I made a request to go get the monkeypox vaccine in New York, they said, Shoal is HIV positive and they needed the monkeypox vaccine. I explained in an unnecessary level of detail that I needed to take a day off to go into New York for the appointment. The response to my request was, well, can you still join the staff meeting in the morning? And I was like, "Okay, yeah, I guess I can do that. They were later asked to work on the train on the way up to the city up until their appointment time. These are My monsters. God. These are monsters. And then they says it was frustrating because there was a complete lack of empathy, much less consideration for the context of a queer person trying to survive yet another plague.
0: How could you be expected I mean, to work on the train? Just, How could you be expected up to work the on the train Until the time of your doctor's until appointment. Until the time you get a vaccine. How could you be expected to do that? What on earth?
1: but it is it is littered with examples like this and it really is revealing about you know what the people who staff these DEI offices consider hardship
0: well i want to credit the daily princetonian this is a this is good journalism it's, it's thorough it's thorough. it's very packed thorough. with
1: memorable anec- anecdotes and
0: you know my motto pack it with detail it's so good it's packed with detail it this is we need to develop a Ink Stained Wretches Collegiate Journalism Prize. Because we had our first winner, the greatest of them all, which was from the Yale Daily News from last year, which About was... Daylight Savings Time. The, the, Yale, Daylight Savings Time. Yale students' hardest hit, Daylight the, Yeah. The, a a, a pay-on to those who stand up against Daylight saving Times. But this would be, so far, the front-runner for this year's so award. Excellent. The, re, the the retro. Okay, mine is... Art at Cap Washington and no surprise. Art at Capitol honors 141 enslavers and thirteen Confederates. Who are they? Well, I wonder. And it, by the way, it's flagged Washington Post exclusive. You can't get this. You can't get this anyplace else. There's nobody else. You can't just go walk around the Capitol and see these pictures. I don't know whether you know did you know that George Washington owned slaves? I had not heard about Oh, wait a minute. That's right. I learned that in third grade. I know. I know it. Anyway, one-third of the artworks in the Capitol depict enslavers or confederates. Of the 31 people identified in the painting, General George Washington resigning his commission, displayed in the Capitol Rotunda, 19 were enslavers. Jillian Brockle writes what I can only describe as the most obtuse (laughs) and detailed obtuseness piece imaginable to talk about this as if she just arrived, right? She writes this piece as if she had just walked off a spaceship and someone said, did you know that these, some of these people own slaves? What you, are you suggesting that Thomas Jefferson owned slaves? Not just that he had sex with one of them all the time. Her name was Sally Hemmings. They probably had kids. We know. Oh, my gosh, we know. And to go through this and do it, it's just, we know. We know. And it's exhausting. It is so exhausting. And I will promise you that somebody in Congress will cite this piece to go through and say, shouldn't we really...
1: Got to come down.
0: Shouldn't these paintings really come down? These enslavers. Now, I will say... To the people of Mississippi, your Jefferson Davis statue is gross. Please take your Jefferson Davis... I wouldn't remove it, but please take your Jefferson Davis statue home. It's super uncool to send a, the president of the Confederacy to the Capitol. I know why you thought it was cool when you did it, but it's not cool and you lost, so just stop it. But the this is the kind of cr- uh, incredulous... Credulity, right? I can't believe this is happening. Of course, you can believe it's happening. We had a whole civil war over slavery. We have a Juneteenth holiday. We have all of these things to talk about this. Stop acting like you just got here. Harumph.
1: This brings us to reader mail. You harumphed about something else, and our first mail is about what you harumphed about. Oh, so, okay. Good. Our first note is from Douglas LeBlanc. From Johns Island, South Carolina. Oh, that's and a nice Douglas place to be writes, from. I heard my first welcome in this week <gasps> and I enjoyed it for two reasons. I've been listening for one since Chris pointed out the trend and it was uncomfortably cold even here in South Carolina and I was 62. relieved to be in for a few minutes while in search of dry cat food. I guess this means I will load this greeting as soon as spring arrives.
0: I bet you it won't take you till then, Douglas LeBlanc. Okay. I, I bet you won't need it till spring. Also, Why aren't you giving your cat the Fancy Feast? Why are you giving your cat the the Meow Mix? Go for it. Get the, I mean, that stuff looks pretty good.
1: Chris, I thought of you because I heard a welcome in over the break. It's so awful. Yeah, I heard it.
0: Welcome Welcome in. in. Welcome in.
1: And we have a really good next note from Jim in West Virginia, right down the middle of the plate again for you. First, (laughs) love the podcast. I listen every Friday morning on my drive to work. It is the best way to kick off the beginning of the end of the work week. I'm curious to get your opinion on the story of three Charleston Gazette reporters fired for criticizing their boss for giving notorious former CEO Don Blankenship a pass during an interview that was posted to the newspaper's website. I think the reporters should have been fired for publicly criticizing the company that employed them. I would also question reporters who would want to work for an owner who would give Blankenship a pass the way that he did, excluding the obvious need for a steady income, and then promote the interview on the newspaper's website. Wishing you both a great 2023.
0: I wish I knew where in West Virginia Jim was from, because then I could tell I could. We could talk about where to get the best hot dog near where Jim lived. Jim sounds like he's writing from Southern West Virginia. But anyway, and the answer of course is appropriately Jim's drive-in in in Lewisburg, West Virginia is currently my, if you'll pardon the term, top dog in the West Virginia hot dog game. Anyway, I know Don Blankenship and I have, I have felt the pain of these reporters in one of my jobs in West Virginia. I appeared on a, a TV show and helped produce a TV show that my boss did where he interviewed powerful people in the state. It was called decision makers, or as my friends mocked it, they called it dream catchers. And it was not a great show. (laughs) And it was not a great show because the CEO of the company is interviewing people who are public figures. That's not correct. That's not how you're going to get good interviews because the CEO has a different set of interests, right? They're looking for investors, they're looking for support, they're lo- because they're running a business. The reason you delegate that work to journalists is that you're putting a buffer between the questioner and the profit motives. So this the Doug Scaff, who is the who I worked for the paper that was bought by the paper, that he now owns after it when he bought it out of bankruptcy or he, he, him and a group of investors bought it. And hilariously, by the way, the interview segment is called, I read in this article from WCIA.com. The, the interview segments are called outside the echo chamber, which is a hilarious thing for a news CEO to call his interviews, his, his loving interviews with the rich and powerful is outside the yeah. echo chamber. Now, All of that having been said, I don't see, I I just have opened this. I don't know what the tweet said, but I certainly agree with Jim, which is if you don't like what your boss did, you can quit. You can tweet and get fired, but you can't tweet and get fired and be surprised that you got fired for tweeting, right? And in this case, Hey, I've been fired. I, I, I know of what I speak. You can't be surprised that you got fired. And you can't be surprised that that, that this is what it comes to. If you, if you think that that's what was necessary, cool, cool, cool. If you think that's the way to do it, cool, cool, cool. But I also, you know, whatever.
1: I agree. I think if you want to publicly criticize your boss, you should be prepared to quit and not be upset. If you are fired, that is just not the way the world works.
0: That's not... How it goes.
1: Yes. Chris, this brings us to your favorite time of the week. Where I am forced to say something nice, but as always, you lead by example.
0: Well, this, one of our great listeners shared with me and was such, such a good piece. The Wall Street Journal. So... You're probably not well versed in Christian apologetics.
1: I'm definitely not.
0: <laughs> so th- it's the it's called "When Mary Met the Angel." Two thousand years ago, a young woman in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire received a message that would change the world by Rebecca McLaughlin. And I gotta tell you, for a non-believer or a accident like a a Christian adjacent, or for a person of a different faith. You will seldom read an essay that better encapsulates the point of Christianity, the argument for Christianity, than you will in this wonderful, wonderful piece. And she writes, I'll get choked up reading it, so please forgive me in advance. The equal valuing of men and women is one piece of this paradigm shift. In a misogynistic ancient world, Jesus' validation of women lifted them up to an equal footing with men. The first people to believe he had been raised from the dead were women. And ever since, the Christian population has been disproportionately female, unlike adherents to the second and third largest religions, Islam and Hinduism. Of course, we are painfully aware of the ways that Christians through the ages have not lived up to Christian ethics. The history of race-based slavery and subjugation by self-identifying Christians in America is one example. Slavery was endemic in the ancient world, and Christianity was mocked in the second century as a religion of slaves. As Christianity spread, it effectively eradicated slavery in Europe, making it all the more horrific when the transatlantic slave trade started up in the 16th century. It goes on. It's just so well done. And again, beautifully reasoned, beautifully written, really, really good.
1: I'm bookmarking for myself. Nice. Okay. Mine is much more lowly. (laughs) Uh, Not surprisingly. No, no. My favorite item, because this is something I have been wondering about, which was before Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested, and as listeners know, I've been obsessed with this story, he invested in the news startup Semaphore. Invested, and I'm using air quotes. Tough crowd. And there has been, you know, questions. Are they going to get back the money, or what is the deal here? And they have really been dragging their feet, saying – we're going to let the legal process play out and, you know, basically these ridiculous statements when it does seem like he gave them stolen money and other news outlets that got money from him are giving it back. ProPublica said that it would return a $5 million donation, et cetera. So there is a report in the wrap, although it is only one anonymous source, so I want to follow this. Semaphore to, quote, redeem Sam Bankman-Fried Investment Dash, in other words, return it. And there is a quote that says, the company intends to redeem the investment, the individual said, who took care not to use the word return, but could not specify the difference between redeeming or simply returning the investment. So we will follow this, but that was my favorite item for the week. And with that, Chris, that is the news about the news. But watch
0: on the YouTube channel. Yes. Watch, Watch us on the YouTube channel. Hi do that what what are we supposed to do sign
1: and sign up well, for the newsletter well obviously yeah you
0: should sign up sign for the up newsletter sign up for the newsletter lol Retchos.
1: this has been inkstained wretches from nebulous media produced by Colin Chicola find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts just search for Wretches.